Man, if I could sing like that, I probably wouldn't preach. That's probably why God doesn't let me sing. And so, anyway, it's wonderful to have you here. We're getting started this morning. I'm going to ask you just for a few minutes. We're going to, I'm going to, we're going to pray one more time, and then you're going to be seated. If you were with us four weeks ago, if you've been with us in the last four weeks, we started a, a series called Slings and Stones, and very simple about the life of David. And we've been using keywords every week and we've been zeroing in on those because I honestly believe that you can take the word of God and when you preach it even if you've talked about it before you can go back and always glean something else from it I, I honestly believe that with all of my heart the first week we zeroed in on the word anointing and we said you know David was anointed to be the next king of Israel and we won't go into a lot of that but basically they marked him or Jesse uh, his uh, dad uh, as Samuel came poured in the horn uh, took the oil poured it over him we don't do a lot of that anymore as far as pouring oil on I have been in services where they did do do that and like I said here not too long ago you better know it's God when you do it amen, amen. Amen. So, so the next thing is that we talked about was that God has purpose for your life. And we learned that whatever God has given you to do, and everybody has purpose. You've got purpose. I've got purpose in the kingdom of God. Do you know what I believe the most important thing is that we help you discover what it is? Because when you know what it is, then there's a lot less turmoil going on in the body of Christ and in church. Uh, the sound guy's not trying to get who's leading singing's job. Come on. Are, are you with me? And, and the guy leading the music or the person leading the music's not trying to get the associate pastor and the associate pastors, are you with me? When you understand what your purpose is and you move in that, then you uh, uh, things really just begin to align. And then we, we accomplish more together than we can apart. And then last week we talked about David and having a passionate attitude. And we're going to get into the service this morning, read a few scriptures to you. But having passion is this. One, that word has come up multiple times this week. And it's not been from people in this uh, church setting or this congregation. But people, my mother, she may be watching today. I love you, Mom. I love you. Uh, it's all right. Amen. Uh, she said something about passion. She was talking about a relative, talking about passion. Have you ever met somebody that was so passionate about what they did that they were misunderstood? I mean, they loved what they did so much that they were totally misunderstood. Their intentions were good. What they wanted to do was well, but because they were so passionate about it, people just looked at them and said, they're crazy, they're weird. Amen. Amen. And so our, our story last week, we realized that he was passionate about what he did. And David is now at the lines of the battle. And this is where we're going to pick up my favorite part of this message. And I want to read to you one verse, and then we're going to pray and you can be seated. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done with the man who kills this Philistine? And takes away the reproach of Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistines? There's a lot of translations that say a lot of different things. But basically David was saying, who is this filthy dude who's messing around with God's people? That's what he was really saying. That he should defy the armies of the living God. Not just any army, but the armies of the living God. 
Father, I ask you this morning as you would go with us, that you would bless this time, that you would minister, Father, in this service, that your word would go out, be so transparent to those that are hearing, that, Lord, they would receive. Help us now again for the next few moments to lean in and glean from this, we pray. Lord, we ask it, we pray it, we believe it in the name that's named above every name, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. And you may be seated. You know, when we picked up, or where we left off last week, I shared with you a little bit about the fact of David's passion. We talked about his attitude. We, we talked about that a lot. And one of the things that we realized from the story of David, and I'm going to read to you several verses. So if you want to go to 1 Samuel 17, we're going to stay right there today. If you've got your, if you've got your marker in your Bible there, everybody around you thinks you're really smart. If you got your phone, you can look it up on your phone or on your tablet or whatever. But we, we talked about how that David was sent on a mission. He's still a young man. He still tends sheep for, for his father because many times when God has a plan and a purpose for us, we don't stop doing what we've been doing to detour from what God's already called us to do. A lot of people think that a new think that something better in their life means a new assignment. And a lot of times that's not it at all. A lot of times people are looking for something else, something better, something free. That's why I know it's not free, but that's why people will stand six hours in a line to get a brand new iPhone. They want something else. They want something different. And many times when we get disgruntled, when we think, that think, you know, I've been teaching this class for years and nobody knows I'm even in the Sunday school department. I, I've been teaching this class on Wednesday night and nobody really even knows that I'm here. I've been picking up the trash in the parking lot for six months and nobody's ever said a word. Can I tell you that God knows? I said that God knows. And I'm going to step up and say something else. And I'm going to put this real clear. We're going to preach a little bit here this morning. But I want you to understand something. If God has called you to change diapers in the nursery, you would have to step down to be the pastor of this church. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that you need to learn to move in what God's called you to do. Don't try to move outside of that. Don't try to make a different way. Don't try to push doors open. Don't slide up windows when you can't figure it out. You need to let God use you where He's put you. And there may be a day in your life that you realize that where you're seated on the bus isn't exactly the best place for you and God will align what needs to be aligned to move your seat on the bus. Come on somebody. But in that you need to realize you need to enjoy the bus ride until it happens. Too many people looking for the exit door. Too many people wanting to jump off. But God has not called you to jump off. God's called you to enjoy the journey. And there may be a day that you get a different seat on the bus. But I'm going to tell you, new assignments doesn't always mean that you're the happiest person in the place. It does mean that you're fulfilling your purpose. And you will know the joy of the Lord. Because there is no greater joy. There is no greater peace than being in the perfect will of the Father. Amen. Man, I got a lot to say here and a little time to do it. When we read this and we, we he asked the question, who is the one? Who, who is the one? What, what are they going to do for the guy that kills this giant? It's worth noting that all of these men because are standing on the battle line. The Bible teaches us that for 40 days this battle line has been drawn. Every day they would come down to the same place in this valley. 
And every day, this big giant of a man, scholars agree that he was at least nine foot tall. They agree that from the facts that they can figure that his, his armor and everything that he wore was about 100 pounds plus. Not including the, the weaver's beam and the end, or the end of his spear. This dude was huge. He was big for that day and especially big for this day. But he walks down taunting everybody. Listen to this. And what he's doing, the Bible says it. You know, I know the King James, the New Living Translations may say taunt. But what he was doing was mocking at the armies of God. He was mocking at the face of God and saying, who will you send here? Who will you, who will you, isn't that the way the enemy works though? Isn't that what the enemy does? He, God showed you what your purpose is. You've discovered it. You realize that God's called you to do something. But every day that you wake up, the devil's telling you, you're not good enough to do that. You're not, you're not the person that ought to be. You know where God got you from. You, you know you were doping in the back alleys of Vicksburg before you showed up to sit on a church pew. You know what you were doing. You know that Saturday night before you were sitting on a bar stool can I tell you something that no matter where you've been and what you've done God's love never changes for you and the greatest thing about my God is he can find you right where you are redeem you come on somebody buy you back mm, got a purpose got a purpose got a purpose feel like preaching this morning if y'all don't help me you're going to miss the buffet today every day to this point that David shows up, the men of Israel have heard the same mockings. They've heard the same words over and over again. They show up. One man is chosen. One man is chosen so that they can hopefully keep from all the bloodshed from the armies, the different armies. In other words, one guy. And so... To me, it's worth noting that they hear that. And the other thing that's really worth noting is that when David comes, he not only hears the same words, but he's moved to action uh, in the moments that matter the most. Why? David's got a willing spirit. Come on, somebody. Because you can come to church and go through the motions and still not have a willing spirit. You come to church and say, God, I'm going to keep nursery. I'm going to go and do children's ministries. I'm going to show up and clean but not have a willing spirit. Come on, somebody. And a willing spirit is an obedient spirit. It isn't that God is a taskmaster. It's that God loves you so much that he says, this is what I've assigned you to. Will you be faithful in the small thing that I've given you to do? Hey, David, I've got a bigger assignment for you. I have called you to be the king of the northern kingdoms and the tribes of Israel. But will you first carry bread and cheese to your brothers? My goodness. I never will forget. There's a woman on TV, that was on TV many years, Juanita Bynum. Juanita Bynum was a powerful woman. Of, I haven't heard of her in years. She probably still is a great woman of God. But I remember her telling a story. She told it in a winter fest. She said that she got in trouble with her pastor one time over her and another woman that got into a discussment, which means they were discussing almost to the point of an argument. And the pastor called them both in. 
He talked to both of them. He sent the, I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. He basically dismissed the other lady, but, uh, but uh, Juanita Bynum, who was the, uh, was the uh, one that God was using in such a, or was going to use in a mighty way. This was really before her day that most everybody had heard about her. And she based, he told her, he said, I want you to, you're not going to sing in the choir. You're not going to minister anymore. You're going to sit on the pew for six months. That's what he told her. You know what the world, you know what the church, what happens in the church nowadays? People have got a mentality of the fact that if someone in leadership says, hey, I think you need to sit down a while. I think you need to be fed a while. I don't think you need to, to do that. If the pastor or someone in the lead says that, people say, I just find somewhere else to go to church. Made me mad. I ain't got to shop Walmart. I go to Target. Come on, somebody, help me here. And so when it came down to it, and here's the, the short of this story, he, she asked the pastor, said, why was my punishment more severe? Man, I'm, I'm preaching somebody. You better hear me. Why was my punishment more severe than, the, than this other lady that you let go out? And here was his words. He said, Juanita, you will carry the gospel to the nations. She will never be anything more than a water boy in the church. Come on, somebody. She, he wasn't trying to discredit the other woman. But what he was saying was simply this. God has called you for a greater purpose. And if you don't realize that God has and you don't fall under that, you'll never take the gospel to the nations. If you don't ever learn to operate where God has you, the assignment that you're supposed to be in, then you'll never move on. Man, i got to get through, uh, through these messages here. Two things would have been given to the man who would have killed Goliath. Real quickly, just giving these to you, first of all was the daughter's hand of the king in marriage. She was beautiful. Somebody say she was beautiful. Why was she beautiful, Pastor? Because you wouldn't give away an ugly daughter. Ain't no man going to fight for an ugly woman. I mean, it only makes sense, doesn't it? I'm going to give you my homely daughter. Looks like she fell out of the ugly tree, hit every branch on the way down the tree, fell on her. Nobody going to fight for that. So we know that she had to be beautiful. Second thing was that that person and the whole family would be tax-free. Somebody shout amen. Come on. I mean, tax-free. What, what, what can you say? But in verse 28, where we go and we begin to discover the things that happened to David, and this one word stands out to me, and that's doubt. There, there are three things that really stand out to me that can cause you to doubt. And I really believe the continual enemy to your divine destiny. And I'm not trying to be over spiritual here this morning. Because I believe that if you're saved, come on. If you're saved, you've got purpose. If you've got purpose, then you don't just have a destiny, but you've got a divine destiny. Which means that God has set you up for something greater. All you have to do is learn to be obedient. Come on, I'm, I'm going to preach here. I got to preach here. I ain't even got down yet, but I got to preach here. Listen to me. You may not be the teacher 
You may not be the preacher. You may not be the song person. You may not be the song leader. But can I tell you something? Operate within the area that God has called you to. And there will be a day that God will use you for greater things than what you ever imagined in your life. Because the enemy of of your divine destiny is continually and constantly doubt. If you've spent your whole life trying to find the approval of men, if you're not careful, you will spend your spiritual life trying to get the approval of men. Come on, somebody. I never could please my daddy. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm saying that people that say I never could please my dad. So they spend their whole life. I never could please my mom. So they spend their whole life trying to please them. You will become a man pleaser. But I want to share with you something here this morning that's very important. You're only called to dance to an audience of one. You're only called to be uh, uh, to dance to a person that God has said. I'm talking about the one who can set forth your divine destiny. I'm not talking about being disobedient to your parents. That's not God's plan. It's not God's purpose. I'm just telling you that God has called you for greater things. Listen to what God's saying. Hear God's voice. You are exactly what God said about you. His word is truth. He cannot lie and will not lie. You're a child of the king. Come on somebody. And he is our soon coming king. He's going to take care of us and do great things in our life. The kingdom will will come but the greatest kingdom that is coming is the kingdom that's here on earth right now that Jesus is setting up for the last day are you hearing me we're in that last hour right now we're here right now we're waiting on something else to show up and Jesus is saying be Jesus to the world thy kingdom come thy will be done come on somebody David has been anointed to be this future king. He's anointed not only to be a king, but the Bible says he's a mighty warrior, but he's also a heart player. When you start looking at the story, they didn't go get David because he was a mighty warrior. He's, I don't really have time to go all into all of this, but he never he doesn't get asked to come to Saul's court because he's a mighty warrior. He doesn't even get called to, uh, to his court because he can tend sheep well. He gets called to court to his courts or into the palace because the Bible says he Saul says go find me a musician and when they find him or a guy speaks up and says, "Hey, I know a boy that can play a harp and plays it well." I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your spiritual bubble. It doesn't say that he prayed well. It didn't say that he prayed often. It didn't say that he was a spiritual giant. It said he played well. There's a lot I could go into right there. I'm not called to sing. My wife would tell me when we would evangelize, she'd say, honey, just preach. Don't try to sing. Let me tell you all, that's, that's pure, brutal honesty, but it's the truth. I'm going to be honest with you on the other side. If you're flat, I know you're flat. If you're sharp, I can tell you you're sharp. I can hear the tones. I can hear the keys. Or I couldn't play a guitar or a bass or any of these other things. But listen to me. I cannot sing. Pastor, you need to start speaking those things that are not as though they were. I've done that for years. It hasn't helped me. God gave me the good Holy Ghost sense. Come on, somebody. Because I was about a two on the singing level to marry a woman who was a ten on the singing level. Are you with me? 
That's just good common sense. So why do I try to sing? The only times that I sing is in the shower, in the car, when I'm making a joyful noise unto the Lord. When I'm up in my my man cave and I just start belting it out, I'm going to tell you something. You can't stay down when you worship. And I know that when I get in church, it's not good for me to grab a mic and go up and sing. That's why I said to Elisha, hey, do you mind taking this mic and just singing? Man, I was just being blessed by the whole thing, but the, the, the way that it sounded in the harmony, come on, bring it on. I need to hear it. But if I'm standing beside somebody who's dead flat or real sharp, I ain't going to say take the mic and go sing. <laughs> do you want to greet at the door? Would you help us in the nursery? Come on, somebody. Y'all with me? God has a purpose in your life. The big thing is is that we help you discover that purpose like David. David's going to be the king, but until he becomes the king, he's going to have to herd sheep for a while. Come on, somebody. And then when they find out this dude can sing, he can play a harp. I said something about playing a harp the other day. It's not like carrying a guitar to guitar practice. My wife said, they made smaller harps this morning. I said, baby, this is my message. I'm going to preach it like I want to. I'm thinking harp. I ain't thinking auto harp. I ain't even thinking the bench top. I'm thinking about got to put it on your back and pack it out to watch the sheep. It's tough to get there. The Bible says point and case that David was a good harp player. That's what brought him before the king. But he won't always play the harp before the king. He's going to be the king. Y'all ain't feeling this like I'm feeling it. I said, you ain't feeling it like I'm feeling it, but it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. We're going someplace. Look at this. The greater the anointing that's upon your life, the greater the attacks that will come upon your life. My wife reminded me years ago about a time when our kids were sick a lot. My kids are all grown and married and doing well for themselves. There was a guy that said, Pastor, I've never seen a family that Satan attacks them, the pastors, like he does you through your kids. You know why? Because the, the enemy knows that if he really wants to get to you, get to what's the closest to your heart. So the greater the anointing that's on your life, the greater the attacks. Don't, don't, don't discount the attack. You just got to learn from it. If you're in school, then you got to learn from it. So what did you do, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you what I did. And I, I don't mind telling it. We're, we're broadcasting live. I don't mind saying it. I, I believe it's the greatest testimony in the world that when my daughter, who was not even three at the time, not even three years old, that climbed up hand over hand, and she knows this is truth, we've told it to a top shelf of a pantry that's above my head, Got a bottle of child uh, t- children's Tylenol because the son, the oldest one, had a broke arm. Got the cap off of it. Got the tinfoil off of it. Got the stuff that you and I can't even get out of it, out of it, because a kid can do a lot when they want to. Took the whole bottle, the whole bottle, and the devil kept saying, "Yep, man, you'll lose her." you preached all over you've given the word of God you've talked about my healing you've talked about my miracles but you'll lose her I don't know who I'm preaching to but I'm preaching to somebody to encourage you today 
I'm telling you, if you're praying for a child, don't stop praying. I don't care how old they are. Come on, somebody. I got news for you. She's banking on 25 years old and she's living today. And when the doctors would shake their head and look at their watches and say she's way toxic and we don't see a way, we named her destiny for a reason because she's destined for greatness. She's not destined to die. She's destined to live. Listen to me, church. Speak over your kids that they'll live. I feel like running here. It'd be all right if I run in just a minute. Hang with me. Listen to me. I, I know what I know the doctors are great. I, I know that I'm so thankful that God has given them in my life, but I'm here to tell you the great physician. Oh, hallelujah. The one that can speak the word and the worlds turn around. The one who can speak, oh my goodness, the stars to stay in the heavens. And they do take his finger and draw out the rivers, take his hands and scoop out the oceans. That's the God I'm serving. If he's big enough to create me in this big old world he's able to heal my body when I need a touch from him that's the God that I'm serving man look at this the enemy knows that if you've got a great future understand this that great attacks you need to understand that will come but don't get discouraged Because of the attack. The enemy will establish doubts of your destiny. Number one, to accuse you. I'm not going to get all of this out, I don't think, this morning. But I'm going to try to get a little bit of it. Look at verse 28. Now Eliab. Somebody say Eliab. Older brother. I was raised with three sisters, so no older brother, but older sister. Eliab is the oldest brother. He, he heard what's being spoken to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, why did you come down here? And who have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness with? Look at this. This is what he said. This is the older brother. I know the pride, come on somebody, of your heart. For you have just come down here to be nosy I know I'm, I'm adding this in. This is TWV. You've been nosy, and that's why you've shown up to the battle. You just want to know what's going on. That's the only way. That's why. Now, we all know that when he got up that morning from last week, that his dad sent him with the bread and the cheese. He is the pizza boy of the day. It wasn't what he, he asked to do, not according to the Scriptures. It's what he was... It's not what he wanted to do himself, but he was asked to do by his father. So he goes down with the basket, with the bread, with the cheese, and now he's being accused. Remember what I said that great destiny, the companion of that, is doubt? Did I tell you that the constant hindering of great destiny in your life is going to be the doubt? that the Well, let me share with you the other thing that he will use in order to bring that doubt is the accusations against you. One of the things that the, the, the names that the Bible gives Satan, uh, the King James, I believe, says the accuser of the brethren, and some say the accuser of the children. But God will always show you where you're wrong. Did you know that? Y'all, y'all this is a word a lot of y'all folk ain't been in church very much, don't hear this anymore, but we need to hear it, and that's a word called conviction. 
that says, I can't go there, I can't do that, I can't, I can't say that because I have conviction. That doesn't mean that the preacher preached about it. That means that the Holy Ghost on the inside of me just won't let me. I can't look at that. I can't read that. I can't listen to that. That's conviction of the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? The Spirit of God will show you. He will point. The Holy Spirit of God is the working agent in the church. He will show you. He will point to you and let you see your sin. That's the conviction. The law would do that in the Old Testament. But hear this. The Holy Spirit of God, God Himself will never point you out and shame you. Never. But the enemy on the other side, the accuser of the children, the accuser of the brethren, will often come to you and point you out. God's showing you your sin is to help you change that, but he never shows you to shame you. God's saying, hey, look, I'm giving you, somebody say, a space of grace. Come on, y'all with me? I'm getting close here. Just a couple more points. Hear this. I'll give you an example. The gym. Y'all, y'all like, everybody like, I got a gym membership. Some of y'all have heard me talk about the gym membership. I've took the first two steps of the gym membership. One, buy the membership. Two, get a pair of tennis shoes. You don't want to get in too big of a hurry. The enemy, you, you, you do all of that. You got the key thing that lets you in. You don't even have to ask somebody to let you in the door. You got a thing that lets you in. But the enemy will look at you just like the older brother did and say, Why are you going to the gym? Come on, somebody. Y'all don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You were fat last October. And you'll be fat at the end of this October. You say, Pastor, you're awful direct. I just don't know how else to give it to you, right? Everybody gets that. They understand that. That's how the enemy works. The enemy says you'll always be overweight. Your mama was, your daddy was, your grandpappy was, your grandmother was. It's in your genes. There's not anything you can do about it. So you know you were fat before you showed up to the gym. You're probably still going to be fat after you get off the, out of the gym. I'm sharing that with you because that's how the enemy works. But God on the other side looks at you and says, Hey, son, you've made the first two steps. You bought a gym membership. You got a pair of shoes. I created you in my image. Let's go, boy. Come on, somebody. That's how God looks at you. That's what God says. And he also will say to you, Hey, you know what? Uh, the, the computer log says that you ain't, you ain't clicked in in a couple of weeks. But he doesn't say, look at yourself in the mirror. You are overweight. Get to the gym. He says, come on, let's get going, boy. Let's show up. Let's do something. Why? Because you can't get it if you don't show up to get it. I preach stuff in church. I know that I've covered. And somebody said, I just, I wish sometimes, Pastor, you'd preach on this subject. Well, you didn't get here the week that I did or the weeks that I did. That's, that's why you didn't hear it. I just wish you'd help me out on a Wednesday night. We just went through a whole thinking series on Wednesday night about the very thing you're talking about. I'm saying that not to point a finger, but to tell you, you can't get it if you don't show up to get it. All right. I can imagine David, and just quickly here, he says, I came here with the right heart. I come here to serve my brothers. 
but my, my older brother is accusing me of being prideful and having this wickedness in my heart. All David was really trying to do was bring some lunch. I thought about something, and I'm going to share it with you. I think I wrote maybe a little line on this. If you ever read anything that I've written on Facebook, please don't, don't take too much to heart. A lot of what I write is when I'm studying messages and something will click inside of me, and I don't always preach it, but I will put it down because it's easy for me to go back and find it. And usually it's pretty good. Have you ever been accused by someone you were trying to help? Now, David knows his heart is pure. He goes down to try to help them. He wasn't there of his own accord. His daddy sent him. But his brothers, who he's trying to help, accuse him. You say, no, that's never been me, Pastor. Then don't pastor a church. Don't go into ministry. Because you can do marriage counseling, and they're hating each other, breaking fine china in the room. Come on, somebody. Throwing stuff at each other. And then when they get back to, together, you're the devil. Don't, you, 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 you follow with me? Have you ever been accused of someone you've been trying to help? The worst feeling in the world is trying to help somebody else and then have them turn on you. You parents with teenage girls, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to have to class this in two categories. Forgive me this morning, but it's the only way I know to do it. A white girl would say, you hate me. I hate you. And stomp off to the room and close the doors. African-American child knows better. Y'all don't tell me what I don't know. I mean, reach and snatch you by the hair of the head back on the floor. Threaten to kill you and tell God you died. <laughs> White woman stand and shake her head. We were, in a, we were in a store one day, no joke. I was working with some people, and we got in that conversation. It was a mixed ethnicity, and there was a lady that worked for me that I love and still love today. When she lost her best, her favorite uncle, I was there. I cried with her and prayed with her. And we got to talking about little Jimmy. And little Jimmy, they got on the subject with the all of us in their mix that little Jimmy would go off and, and, they, and she, and, and we, you know, the white woman would say, come on, Jimmy, get back, don't go back. I am not kidding you. I come back to the store, was walking in after lunch break. There was a little boy. His name wasn't Jimmy. I don't remember what it was. But the mother's got all this stuff in her hands and this little toddler and she says to him, little Jim, don't run out there, little Jim. A white, listen, a black woman, that's what they said. Snatch you back quicker than you knew what was going on. <laughs> Threatened to beat you to the end of your life. So what I'm saying is if you got a teenager, especially a teenage girl, you know what I'm talking about. And David is going through this thing. He's trying, he's just there to help, but his brothers are just, they're just keeping up and they won't leave him alone. But notice his response, verse 29. And David said this, what have I done now? What, what did I do? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason that I'm here? You know, you've met people that just wants to argue for the sake of arguing. You, you know one child, if you said to that child, uh, I can do 20 push-ups. Come on, somebody. They would look at you and say, no, you can't. 
You know what I'm talking about. The first child's now screaming at the second child. Arguing ensues. But look at this. Notice how David responds to his brother. Verse 30. Then he turned from him toward another. Now, I'm using Eliab as the example of the enemy or the accuser. Instead of listening to what the enemy keeps telling you, you need to learn to do what this verse says, and you need to learn to turn. You remember they used to spin and say, talk to the hand. It's probably way old, I'm sure. Telling my age for sure. You know what I'm talking about? You and I, when the enemy who accuses us constantly need to learn how to turn away. You see, if you entertain what the enemy is saying to you, after you continually entertain that, listen to me, you may even begin to believe what he's saying about you. You don't believe that's true? Let me, let me get all of you up here. Let me take a selfie. Of all of us, if we could get everybody together, I'd say in the back, hey, shoot a, shoot a shot of all of us up here. And if I gave that picture to every one of you, who would you look at first? Isn't it amazing that you won't believe what you said about yourself, but you'll believe what somebody else has said about you? Oh. That's why I say Facebook ain't real. they driving a brand new car. You're driving one that just barely gets you to church. And you believe that God's got something against you? Come on, somebody. I'm being real with you. They just moved into a new house. You're trying to figure out how to fix the one you got? Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? The enemy is constantly bombarding you, constantly throwing stuff at you, constantly trying to accuse you. You've got to learn when the enemy does that. I mean, there is a way. The Bible says to resist the enemy. And see, most of us know resist the enemy and he will flee from you. We miss the part that says, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Come on, somebody. First thing, we've got to submit ourselves to God. Resist the enemy. Devil, I told you, get in the mirror and say, devil, today's not your day. I'm not listening to what you've got to say about me because I know what the word of God says about me. Secondly, look at this. The enemy... Not only does he accuse you, but he always plants seeds of doubts by belittling you. Look at verses 31 and 33. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they, they listened. They reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Now look at this. David's this boy, looks at Saul who's a grown man, all this army, and he says, don't let anybody get upset because of that, that dirty old man that keeps coming down here saying he's going to whoop up on us. Your servant, not the king, not the future king, this sheep herder will go down and fight that Philistine. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, look at this, look, look. Belittling. You can't do that. Well, it actually says, you're not able. How many times you heard that? You, you can't. You got too much going on. You're too busy. You can't go down against that Philistine and fight with him because look at this. You're just a kid. You're just a young person. And the Bible says, and he was a man of war. Look at this from his youth. We know that Goliath was huge. We know that his armor was heavy. 
And all of these things, Saul basically says, hey, look, you're, you're, you can't do this. You can't fight him. But I want to share with you this thought. The experience you don't have is no indication of what God can't do in your life when he's called you. I'm not a teacher. I have never taught before. I, I want to. I've looked at it. I've thought about it. But I'm not that. Listen, it's the experience that you don't have is no indication of what God can't do in your life when he's called you because we all know the saying that he equips the called, right? If he calls you, he's going to equip you. He's going to give you exactly what you need. So what the devil is telling you is this, and he's going to say it to all of us at some time or another. You're not able to do this today. I'm going to be real honest. i got just a few minutes. Y'all get tired of hearing me preach. I, I Just listen to this. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, we came into the church service, and I told... Pastor Tag at this, I shared it with my wife, and I could tell on the drive, you know, you're going to get lunch. I mean, we're usually so worn out by the end of service, you know, let's just grab something and go, let's just go home, you know. Or let's just, let's go get something to eat and, you know, let's enjoy. Two weeks, I think it was two weeks ago, I believe that's right. We got in the car and it's like silence. I thought, man. Elisha, I don't know if you're... Boy, that was bad. That was bad. And it wasn't that what God, I felt like, had given me to say was bad. His word surely wasn't bad. I didn't think that the worship team did a bad job at all at what they were called to do. They did very well. But for some reason, listen to this. I'm being honest with you. You're listening to what I'm saying. Anybody ever chopped wood before? When I was a kid, we, we heated the house. It was a farmhouse with wood. That's how they heated. I've chopped, when I was a kid, my share of wood. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a wood-burning fireplace now. It's gas, you know. That's my kind of fireplace. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, Blossman Gas. It's a plug there. Amen. See Regina Foster. All right, anyway. Um, I don't do that anymore. I felt like in that service, I was chopping wood. You ever been in one of those? And the enemy kept pointing and saying, man, I told you, you were, you're horrible. You're 49 years old, and you're not 30. You're not 25 anymore. You're going down quick, dude. You're on your way out. Churches, they're looking for somebody younger. they got to find somebody that can keep up with the pace. They remember how you used to preach. Come on, are y'all hearing me? All y'all sitting there going. Like, really? Uh, come on, somebody, are you with me? Why? Because the enemy knows that if he can continually put doubt in your mind and accuse you, he may stop you or hinder you. And then I went away and I, I said something to Bethany and, and she was like, yeah, I, I felt that too. And I said, you know, I, just, I, I felt like for some reason, maybe I wasn't getting through. I, I felt like, look, the next week, the next week, which was last week, during that week, and I'm honestly, brutally honest with you guys, the biggest fear that I have in pastoring a church isn't dealing with people. 
the biggest fear that I have with dealing with church is after pastoring a church almost 18 years is that on Monday morning I got to preach something better or something else the next Sunday. You see what I'm saying? It's got to be different. I'm not going from one church to the next church and when I preach I sound like a superstar because I done preached them all the many times. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all don't know, but I mean, you know, when you've preached it three or four or five times and you come to a church and you can memorize all your notes and turn everything off and everything looks good, you look like a superstar. When you get up and you're fighting the enemy, you're chopping wood spiritually, you feel like you're battling hell all over again for some reason or other. Something's going on. You don't know what it is, but you've got to push through. Even when the enemy's accusing, when the enemy's belittling you, when he's telling you, you'll never be any more than what you are. Come on, somebody. When the enemy's doing that to you, you've got to learn to push through. And you can't do it through books. And you can't do it through a Google program. You can't, you've got to get on your knees and get in the book, the Word of God, and declare that His righteousness is greater than your deficiencies. Come on, somebody. And that His righteousness and grace is greater than your dysfunction. And greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. And if God has put me here, brought me here place me here the devil is alive come on give the Lord praise I gotta I gotta hurry I got a lot of notes a lot of scriptures here but I I keep saying that I need to hurry I'll have somebody's gonna say Pastor why do you say you have to hurry because people got food on their mind verse 34 and 35 Look at David's response. He said, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came out and took a lamb of the flock, I went out and I struck him and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard. He's talking about the bear. And I struck it and killed it. I may be just a kid. I may be just a youth. I may be small in your eyes, but God's used me in a great way. See, David hears these discouraging words, but David knew that something would happen. He, did, he didn't know. He didn't know that he would, if he would always be keeping his father's sheep, but he is. And the very thing that the world thought or Saul thought or, or, or his brothers thought disqualified him was actually the very thing that God was going to use to qualify him. Beneath the service. I, I, I use this illustration. He's a harp player, and some of y'all thinking harp, because we don't have harps and bands normally around here in the school system. He's a piccolo player. He's a flute player. Are y'all with me? But the Bible has called him not just to play the harp. He's called him because he's got the heart of a warrior. And the heart of the warrior will stand during the testings of times, even when he's belittled, even when he's being accused. And he will look the giant right in the face, even if he has to look up. Come on, somebody. Or look down. And at that moment... He went after it. Look at this, verse 36 and 7. Your servant killed both the lion and this, and look, and this dirty, nasty, old, uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. Seeing he has mocked, he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of that lion and the paw of that bear, he will deliver, he will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul looked at him. And said, good luck, buddy. And Saul said, David, 
and the Lord be with you. Notice that Saul's the same guy who came and said, you can't do this. Now he's saying, hey, go on with your bad self. Look at, look at number three. The enemy plants doubts by provoking you. Look at verse 38 and 39. So Saul clothed with his armor, put on the bronze helmet. In other words, he's putting this on David. Put it on his head. He clothes him with a coat of mail, which is armor. David fastened, or it's a coat, coat of mail. I don't know. It's a coat. It's heavy. David fastened his sword with his armor, and he tried to walk around. You remember your kids in your shoes? In your clothes? They'll do it. And he's trying to walk around with it. And he says, David, David says, look at this in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, you got that. Let me move down to verse 40. Then he took, he said, I cannot walk in these things, for I have not tested them. I wish I had time to go there. So David took them all. Verse 40. Then he took the staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones. Now, I, I wish I could go here too because, you know, some of you say, why did he choose five smooth stones if God was leading him? Some scholars say he had four brothers. I don't know. It's a good thought that Goliath had four brothers. I don't know that. But he takes for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in a shepherd's bag. I'm going to tell you what I do know about the five stones. He put them in the pouch that he had. He's got a sling in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. It's important, the number five, because the number five in the Bible is the number of grace. Can I tell you that God always gives you grace in situations that you're not really sure about? The Bible also says that he drew near to Goliath. And he also... Uh, went in with nothing but a sling. Now, there are different levels of soldiering. You had the levels, just quickly as I can, you had the people who were in the cavalry, they're on horseback, or they're on some kind of animal. You got the people that are now infantry, which are the people who are on the ground, they've got swords in their hands. And then you've got the artillery people who are the people who are the archers in this time and with slings. Are you with me? That's the levels of that. David is an archer. He's, a, he's the man with the sling in his hand. And this guy is coming out and he's got a rock. But the historians say this. I got, I got something here. It's mine. Don't you all laugh at it. This is my sling. See, when I was a kid, I always thought David shot Goliath with a slingshot, but he didn't. A sling's got a pouch, and you could go in and all the history and look at the pouch, and they put the rock, and they get so accurate with it, man, they could kill animals and how they hunted. It's how they protected themselves. Look at this. The, the historians say that David and those guys in that time would take that sling and put it in their hands, and they'd start spinning it. And they would spin that, time, that thing about six to seven revolutions per second. Go figure the math. I don't have time to do it all. How fast that rock would have come out of that sling when it went. Not only can he, can he do that, he's also he's accurate with it. But next, not only is he accurate with it, he's got God on his side. Man, I'm telling you, this is good stuff right here. Look at verse 41 and 42. So the Philistines came out and he began drawing near to David. Somebody say draw near to David. Guys, if y'all get me something prompted up, we're going we're gonna to close here in just a moment. And the man bore, uh, who bore the shield went before him. Turn it down real low, please. Thank you. 
Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he was disdained. He was confused because he's just a young, ruddy. Look at this. The Bible says, and good looking. That's pretty cool, ain't it? It's interesting, though, that some people believe that Goliath might have had a vision problem. He couldn't see that well. So that's why he comes down. Everybody else is is scared to death of this huge guy. But that's one of the reasons that he may have been ineffective toward David. Look at this. The Bible says that Goliath drew near to David. David didn't draw near to him. This is the point. You ready? You have to be careful that you don't fight the enemy on his terms. Are you with me? It's interesting, though, that because of all of that, uh, Goliath looks and sees that he's just a young boy, and he really basically uses these words, Hey, am I just a dog? That's in verses 43 and 44. I'm not going to read it all. He says, am I, am I a dog that you just come out here to me with a stick? And he curses David by the Philistine gods. And the Philistine said to David, look at this. Not only, y'all say, the Philistine drew near. Look at this, hear this. Look at this. This, this is good. Right? I love it. David said, he's a kid. He looks at this giant and says, come to me. Look at this. Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I'm sorry, the Philistine said it to David. Look at this. If David would have come near, let me back up. The Philistine says to David, come near. If David would have walked closer or fought him on his own terms, it would have given David a little chance to have been able to defeat him. Look at this. You can really love God. You can even read the Bible. But you can be losing in life because of your approach to it. You've got to be careful about how you, what you do. See, his attitude was a lot of it. But the other part of it was, was the fact that he was anointed, that he had purpose, and that above all, God was fighting for him and with him. Verses 45 and 46. I'm going to get down to 46. I'm going to jump there. He says, you've come, David said, you've come to me with a sword and a spear, uh, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, that you have mocked at this day. Look at this. The Lord will deliver you in my hand. It's over with, buddy. I've got to close. We won't get to the last of these verses, but hear this. The reason... That he says that, or I believe that he says that, is this very important thing down in the bottom of these verses right here. Look at what he says. He doesn't say this day he'll give you uh, your carcass uh, to the camps of the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Not not so David would be known. David's already going to be the king. He's just a kid right now. He's a good heart player, and he's also got the heart of a warrior, and he also has a heart after God. But look at what David says. This is what makes David so unique, so powerful. Is because David says that all the earth, that God might be glorified, that he might be lifted up, that they may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Do you know why God wants you to succeed? Do you, do you know why God needs you to succeed? Do you know why it's important to you that you don't give up when the devil says sit down and quit? Because God wants you to glorify Him in the earth and lift Him up. There's a world that's dying and hurting without Him and they need somebody to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Don't let the enemy dictate to you these rules of engagement. Don't let the enemy shame you. Don't let the enemy tell you 